everybody. I'm Steve Green with Bill Whittle and Scott Ott recording in from a uh, internet cafe in Bogota. Uh, you might not expect someone as, uh, I guess, more than least sardonic as I am to write a children's book, but that's that's exactly what I've been working on. Uh, I'd like to take just a couple of minutes to tell you about it. I, I think it's kind of sweet, a little touching. It's called Joe Biden and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Trip to India, Vietnam, and Alaska. And I, I think this is going <laughs> to touch a lot of hearts, move a lot of people. Um, you probably saw the headlines over the last few days. Uh, it started with the uh, the G20 conference in India on uh, on Saturday, I guess. Actually, it's a G18 conference, Bill, because uh, two of the biggest participants, China and Russia, decided not to show up. Vladimir Putin, I guess, didn't want to get arrested. And uh, Xi Jinping is just too cool for this kind of stuff now that, uh, that, that China's rolling so high. Um, and this is what got me in the coverage of the India part of Biden's trip. Even, um, who was it? It was U.S. Today's White House correspondent. I've forgotten her name. Uh, she was forced to admit that the trip was a failure. And one of her complaints was that Biden tried to get the other nations to condemn Russia's full-fledged invasion of Ukraine. And even with Putin and, and Xi Jinping not there, the best he could get out of the other 17 attendees was a joint declaration that uh, war's bad, okay? Hmm. Um, we know the guy looks weak, but he's making us all look weak at what's supposed to be a photo op conference, isn't he, Bill? Yeah, not only that, there's a couple other issues here uh, regarding this. First of all, this is an economic summit. He's got no business telling other countries what what to do politically or right. or what their opinion should be on anything. Uh, one of the things that we've been hearing so much, especially during the Biden administration, but in, in general for a while, but, but really especially during this administration, is complaints usually off the record or after the president has left the country from um, officials of these countries that he's visited saying, we don't need to be lectured on how to run our society, especially by a country that doesn't, you know, can't tell the difference between a man and a woman. So... Um, hmm. So first of all, he has no business making that 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 point, regardless of how much um, uh, moral uh, factuality there is to it. It's just it's not it's not his business. It's not what that summit is for. It's just plain uh, grandstanding and and soapboxing and lecturing. So there's that. The second thing I think that's important here is that, and I don't know why more people are not talking about this. If we're playing a giant game of risk, where you know. If you don't know what risk is, then you're probably not a fan of this show. <laughs> right. If we were playing a if we were playing a giant game of risk right now in, in 2023, and and it became my and I was lucky enough to have the, the the first pick of allies on planet Earth. If I could if I could pick an ally for the United States right now, my first choice would be India, and by a wide, 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 wide margin, yeah. by a wide margin. India is a country that has gone from Stone Age to to highly technologically advanced in, in a space of no more than two generations. We share an awful lot of cultural heritage with the Indians because of the British Raj. Obviously, that was not an entirely pleasant experience for them, but it wasn't an entirely pleasant experience for us either. So, so we both had the satisfaction of shooting at redcoats, and that kind of links mm -hmm. us together. But, but generally speaking, the thing about India that's so important is their their population is the largest in the world, significantly outstripping China now. Their manufacturing capability is not tremendous yet, but has enormous potential. It's a widely educated um, uh, society. And most importantly, more than anything, 
It's a billion and a half people who are positioned between Russia and China. I mean, their geographical position is absolutely essential. And, and furthermore, the Indians look up to America in, 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 in a way that many countries do not anymore. And if I was president of the United States, that would be the very first thing on my agenda. I would fly to India. I might touch ground in, in Great Britain on the way just to, just to wave at the crowd and then just say that, you know, just, just say that I did. But because that's an important relationship too. But India is by far the most valuable long-term strategic partner that this country has. And, and anything that goes in there that reeks of this kind of moral imperialism uh, is not helping our cause when it comes to this, Steve. And, and India in particular this, is very sensitive to that attitude. Very, very sensitive to that attitude. And um, let's not forget, just for those of you who still think of India as kind of this, you know, people walking around wearing those, um, those loincloths, India became the fourth nation to put a probe on the moon uh, after the United States, Russia, and China. Uh, they landed a probe on the South Pole after I know their first attempt failed. I don't know if this is their second or third attempt. Landing a rover on the moon is not is not trivial, and it's not trivial because there's only four countries that have ever done it. And and as you say, Steve, they're they're very sensitive about this, and they're especially sensitive about it from us because they like to think that they're our friends. I think I think if you if you look at the great power struggles. If, it, if, if India had a choice between allying with Russia, China, or the United States, I think this would be a, a, a slam dunk. But we're, we're, we're managing to screw that up the way we've been managing to screw up a lot of other things as well. So, yeah, it's if, – if the president can't – if the president is at the point where he cannot function without – whenever he goes off script, then perhaps he should just stay home frankly. Yeah. Uh, speaking of scripts, they really should have handed him one before he went to uh, to Hanoi in Vietnam as the, the second part of his 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 little trip there. Uh, Scott, I'm going to read a, a transcript. <laughs> did, did, he, did he say, I just, just out of curiosity, did he uh, did he claim to be uh, held in the Hanoi Hilton for many years? Because that's kind of Joe's uh, pattern. Uh, no, but wow. I, I You know, I almost wish he did just because it would be so in character. You know, it's like you expect your favorite character on your t- favorite TV show to say your, your, yeah, your favorite catchphrase. Yeah, I want the catchphrase. Bingo, yeah. yeah. Anyway, we, we, we didn't get that one. But, um, Scott, I think you've been generally uh, maybe a, a little more generous than Bill and I have been in uh, estimating Biden's increasing senescence. But I want to read to you something he said during this cringeworthy 26-minute speech in in Vietnam. And I just want you to remember, as, as I read this transcript, that it's going to sound much better coming from me than it did from him, yeah. because he was doing that slurring, stuttering, uh, yeah. forgetful, aged thing that he's been doing more and more of. He said, and there's a, my, my brother loves having, there's famous lines from movies that he always quotes. You know, it's, and one, one of them is, there's, there's a movie about John Wayne. He's an Indian scout, and they're trying to get the, uh, I think it was the Apache one, one of the great tribes of America back on the reservation, and he's standing with a union, so so he's, they're all on there, and they're on their horses in their saddles, and there's three or four Indians in headdresses, and the union soldiers, and the union soldiers are basically saying to the Indians, come with me, we'll take care of you, we'll, everything will be good. And the Indian scow, the Indian looks at John Wayne and he points to the Union soldier and says, he's a lying dog face pony soldier. Now, 
we've heard this particular line before, yes. but this is in a lot more detail from, from this movie about John Wayne that has never been made. Nobody you know, can locate this scene or the line. And it, oh, hang on, Scott, it gets worse. Um, a little later on, after the, the 26 minutes are up, uh, the White House press secretary, Karine uh, Jean-Pierre, actually cut him off mid-word, um, saying over the loudspeakers, thank you, everybody, this ends the press conference. And Biden still didn't stop. She queued up the music super loud, like he's an Oscar winner who's gone on past his allotted time. She played and, him off. Uh, yeah, and he finally uh, just picks a direction and wanders off the stage. I, I, I might have asked you this before, but have we gotten into elder abuse here? Well, first of all, I want to clarify, because uh, while it wasn't technically uh, a Hollywood film, Lying Dogface Pony Soldier was a spec script that Joe Biden wrote in the 1960s, <laughs> and he had he had lined up— Co-authored it with Corn, with corn Pop. The two of them just sat down, got over their differences, and hacked out an outline. Oh, in, in, man. In a, he had a serious alley. lunch with John Wayne about starring in this movie. Uh, no paperwork with exchanged hands, but, uh, you know— uh, first of all, just on a broad scope, um, this kind of a summit, when you have the G20 summit and you bring together the leaders of each of these countries, you better have some content to this show. And, and I think that's the problem with this, sending the president of the United wow. States somewhere and making a big deal of it and having big public appearances and all kinds of, you know, welcomes like royalty, but having no content in that show, it makes me think, all of this could have been handled by low-level functionaries in the executive branch who could have handled this all behind the scenes. You send the president in basically as the closer when the deal has already been closed. Um, and and it's, you don't send him over there and pretend you're engaging in negotiations, which clearly he does not seem capable of doing. Now, maybe he does better behind the scenes, but if that's the case, then get him away from the camera and put him behind the scenes and let Make him have him one these... of the low-level functionaries. Yeah, he could be one of the low-level functionaries. So so the, so far, the only good thing I've heard coming out of this trip is that Boeing sold 52 jets. Uh, but other than that, <laughs> I haven't heard a whole lot of positive. Um, these, these summits were meant to be shows of unity among, you know, the civilized nations uh, that they're coming together and everybody should look at them and say, isn't it great that we can all work together? But instead, it looks like a, a big nothing that was a waste of, of a lot of money. Um, so, yeah, and that, and and the president is not, never has been good on camera, but is getting worse as time goes on and should never be allowed to wander from the script. They should have played him off as soon as he's, he mentioned the movie. Uh, they should have gotten him out of there. But it's embarrassing for the country. It should be embarrassing for the White House, and it should be embarrassing for the president and the first lady, uh, but apparently they are beyond embarrassment. Uh, yeah, boy. Can I add one thing? Please. Just, just about the question you asked me, because— what, about with India, you mentioned the two countries in the G, you called it the G18 because two countries weren't attending. One was Russia, the other was China. And what I've always found interesting about those two countries is they have never had alliances ever throughout their entire history. The United States has had a history of forming alliances or being a part of major, usually a, the, the, the leading partner of alliances. We had alliances in World War I, alliances in World War II. NATO's the greatest alliance that's ever been formed in human history. Regardless of how competently we, we 
uh, administer these alliances, we have them. China has no allies in the world, and neither does Russia. Now, they may have a mutual hatred of us that may cause them to have some common interests, but they're certainly not allies in the way we understand they the word. They have dependents. So, yeah. That's right. So they are, in a, in, a, in a real sense, they are outside of the of the international community, and, and this is why they're, this is why they're such pariahs. And just as a as a follow up thought, I'm not entirely sure that telling the Vietnamese that the cavalry is about yeah. to come, you know, is yeah. is uh, that, that the U.S. Fifth Cavalry is about to arrive uh, over the hill is exactly the kind of message you want to send to that particular country uh, if you're trying to um, improve relations with them. Indeed, and I I understand why the president stopped in. In Vietnam, the point is uh, Vietnam makes an excellent counterweight uh, in terms of military and economic presence to, 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 China. To, to China. That said, I question the timing, as we like to say in political circles, because uh, this trip to, to Vietnam allowed President Biden to skip the domestic 9-11 remembrances that were held in uh, in New York and Pennsylvania and Washington, D.C. on Monday as they have been held every September 11 since 2002. And um, I think one of the reasons is is pretty obvious. They, they couldn't risk uh, putting Biden in New York City at, at ground zero or what used to be ground zero. Thank goodness we've rebuilt. Uh, putting him there on Monday, on the anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, and having him claimed a bunch of 9-11 widows gathered there that his son, Bo, died fighting the fires in the North Tower, because you, you know he'd end up doing something like that. Instead, they sent uh, the vice president to one-to-one place. Her husband, I think, was uh, doing the thing in in, uh, in Pennsylvania. It was just... <sighs> It was it was an insult to, to to all the survivors and to the country as a whole. But there there's that word again. Um, instead, they had Biden do a stopover in Alaska, in Alaska on Monday, and and late in the day too. I think I think he delivered his remarks at something like four forty five in the afternoon. Uh, so hours and hours after the the usual morning time when we do it on the actual anniversary, the minute the first plane struck, and. Even then, he had to insert himself in the narrative. Biden described how he remembered vividly being there on 9-12, one day after the attacks, and seeing the devastation. In fact, he was in the Senate that day delivering a speech and uh, casting his vote on on something or other. Um, I'm just... I find myself feeling a bit like Joe Biden right now. I am I am so flabbergasted, not with age, although it, it, it does come for all of us, but just flabbergasted that we, this great country, is in this position with this guy, and so much of the country is so committed to pretending that it just isn't so. Tomorrow, or excuse me, not tomorrow, this next election is going to be very interesting, and I think in ways we might not expect, so... Uh, Stay tuned. That's your right angle on that, brought to you by the members of BillWhittle.com. For Bill and Scott, I'm Steve Green. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.